Take your Bibles, please, and turn back to that Luke chapter 1 passage. Most of you know I thoroughly enjoy reading uh, Tolkien's books, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and there are many, many memorable spiritual provoking thoughts that you can get from those books. And one this morning as I was thinking about our message from The Hobbit was when Gandalf and Bilbo and the dwarves were desperately seeking to get to the Lonely Mountain to recover their homeland. Uh, before they could get there, they had to pass through an ancient and very dangerous forest called Mirkwood. Um, of course, as Gandalf did throughout the uh, series, when they needed him the most, he had other business, pressing business uh, somewhere else. And so he had to leave them to make it through Mirkwood on their own. Uh, the good news was, though, that through Mirkwood, as dangerous as it was, that the mystical elves of old, as Tolkien says, created a magic pathway through the forest. That if you stayed on the pathway, although you were surrounded by evil and danger of all kinds, if you stayed on the pathway, nothing could harm you. And so before he rides off on his horse to have them enter the forest and seek to get through it, he gives them a stern warning, and I'm going to quote it. He says, don't stray off the path. If you do... It's a thousand to one that you will ever find it again and you will never get out of the Mirkwood. And then I don't suppose that I or anyone else will ever see you again. You know, I read that as a teenager for the first time and when I read that line, I thought this to myself. If it was me and I was going into that woods, there was no way on God's green earth that I would ever get off the path. There is nothing that could happen no matter what it cost me. I wasn't getting off the path. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you'll know that they did. Bilbo and the dwarves go through the path, and it's, it's a literary work of art because he just builds it to a climax. And first they start going up down the path, and they realize that the path is so narrow that they can't walk in a group and talk to each other, that they to stay on the path, they all have to walk single file. So they, they have this long line and they're, and they're kind of getting disoriented a little bit because they're all one behind each other and they can't really talk as well to one another. And then as they walk on the narrow path, the trees are very dense and the light coming through is fading because it's becoming night. And so it's getting darker and darker. And as they walk by one at a time, it gets more and more difficult to see the path. And then after they've been doing that for a while, they get to the place in the path where there's a stream or a river. And they have to get across it to continue on the path. Um, but there's a boat. But the boat's not on their side. It's on the other side. So they have to kind of wade in, holding each other to get to the boat. And then they're going to bring the boat back. They finally get across the river to the boat. But the boat, when they get in, has no oars. And so they get on the boat. And they're trying to help each other. And they're pulling the boat against the current. They finally get back. And they get everybody on. They make the trips over without an oar. And they finally get back on the path. But they go through the path, and it's very, very dark by now. And they look off in the distance, and they see red and green eyes. They don't know at the time, but they are giant spiders. Webs are everywhere, and they're not really sure why, but we all know when you read the book what it is. All right? And so they stay on the path. It's very difficult. And then they go day after day, and they get extremely hungry because there's no food on the path. And dwarves are very voracious eaters. 
which they probably Baptists, but <laughs> but they finally they finally give up on the path and they wander off thinking they're going to find food and come back to it. But they wander off the path and they don't get back to it. And as soon as they wander off the path, they get met by all those huge, gigantic spiders. They get wrapped up in webs and eventually uh, Bilbo delivers them and then they run into the elves, the not-so-kind elves, and the elves gives them a problem. But it was nothing but horrible experiences when they got off the path. You know, I thought about that, and I thought about the redemptive story in the Bible. You know, from the very beginning, God himself has created a path of peace for us, a road of peace. That's the phrase used in our scripture today. In fact, it's only used three times in the Bible, and I'm going to show you the way of peace. And the way means road, path that you walk on. See, God says, see, there's a way to get through life. It's called the way of peace, and, and I created it for you. And as long as you stay on that path and, and you obey my word and heed my warnings like the dwarves needed to heed Gandalf, see, you're not going to run into those dangers and those difficulties. And Jesus would say to us, if you get off that path, that path of peace, there's not a thousand and one chance that you'll ever get back. And unfortunately, he would add to it, as Gandalf did, that I or no one else may ever see you again if you stray far from it. But here's the thing. You say, Pastor Walker, if there's a path of peace and that's the way you get to heaven and that's how you get right with God, then if I, I'm on that path, I'm never going to get off the path. But the problem is, is that we already all have. You see, turn to Isaiah, would you? Chapter 59. Hold your finger in Luke. I want to show you the three uses of the phrase that we're going to look at, the path or the way of peace. Isaiah is going to tell us the negative side and Luke's going to give us the positive side. Isaiah 59.1 reads, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity and your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Now, they're going to talk about the path of peace. Watch this. There's even spiders on this one. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. Who eats their eggs dies. From one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing and will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Listen to this. Their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their paths, their highways. This is the road they're on. Why is their life like this? Verse 8. The way of peace, there it is. The way of peace they do not know. And there is no justice in their paths. In fact, what road are they on? Well, they've got off the path of peace, and now they have made their roads crooked. They're on a crooked, false, twisted road that is not the way of God's peace. And what happens to everyone who takes this path? No one who treads on them knows peace. You see... 
Every one of us, because we're sinners, we have taken the wrong road. We are taking the alternate road. We have taken the one that leads away from peace and away from God. Israel had done that. They had taken the road that had the spider's webs, and they had got off the road, and they did not listen to God's warnings. And therefore, they don't even know the way of peace at all. Now, hold your finger here one more time. That's God's people, the Jews. But don't pat yourself on the back too quickly because Paul quotes the same verse. Can you look at it? In Romans chapter 3. God's people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, had become so sinful that it wasn't God's hand short or his ear heavy that he couldn't save them or deliver them, but they had got so into their sin that they had got off the path of peace vertically between them and God and between everyone else. Violence, injustice, kind of like the land in which we live. That's where God's people had got to. But it wasn't just Jewish people that have this problem. It's Gentile people. Paul calls up this text from Isaiah 59 to use the second time the phrase the way of peace is used. And he says in chapter 3, verse 9, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. So here's what he says. Jews and Greeks both. And then he's going to quote the same passage. Okay, verse number 14. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their roads, their paths is what? Ruin and misery. That's the way of saying destruction and desolation. And here's verse 17. And the way of peace they have not known. See, they don't know the way of peace. They pull up their spiritual GPS. And you know, when you're going down the road and you turn your GPS on, especially when you're starting out to go on a trip, it'll say, hey, this is your way. And then it gives you alternate routes. If you take this one, it will take you this long and you'll be able to miss this city traffic and the weather, you know, and, and is, there, is there an accident on this road? And it'll give you options. You see, in God's GPS, not the global positioning system, but God's global peace system. See, he says there's no alternate route. Just like for the dwarves. See, going through Mirkwood Forest, there was only one route, and you had to stay on it. And you could come up with reasons why you thought you need to get off it. And Israel did, and Gentiles do, we all do. We come up with reasons why we think that God's way of peace, his road of peace, is not what we need. We need so here, here's what we do as sinners. We take the exit ramp. We take detours. We get off. We, we turn on the GPS, our own, and we say, oh, there's alternate routes in life. And you know what? I know God says you get peace this way, but I think I can find it this way. And what happens is, is we get off the highway to heaven and we become at odds with God. And in doing so, we forsake peace. But just so we're clear this morning, I want you to know that this text is not about getting political peace. We don't have that in America and probably never will. It's not talking about economic peace where you have no financial shortages or issues in your life. It's not talking even about emotional or relational peace. It's not saying, I hope you feel better. It's not some inner feeling you get when things are going right in your life. It's not talking about psychological peace. All those things are great, but that's not our biggest problem, by the way. And although you may look around at our culture and think, wow, we could really use some of those pieces, and certainly we could. And when you have God's peace, a lot of times those pieces are, that kind of peace is a result of it. But we're talking about a greater peace, a more important peace. And that's the peace that comes from knowing that you are reconciled with God, that your sin debt has been taken care of. You see, 
we sing it at Christmas time, don't we? Hark the herald angels sing that great Christmas carol by Charles Wesley. And the first verse reads this. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. See, we don't think about it much, but God and sinners are at war. Let that settle in your mind a minute. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you don't know his peace through forgiveness of sins, see, he's not just a little upset. You're at war with him. See, you've taken a different path. You've taken the alternate route, the one you thought would get you there quicker and get you through life a little bit better. And you've taken the, the uh, alternate route. And God says, when you take the crooked road, it won't get you where you're going. In other words, here's what the Bible's trying to say. There is no shortcut to salvation. There is no detour to deliverance. See, sinners need peace with God. And there's only one path of peace. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's why we have Christmas. The need for peace between God and sinners is why Jesus came. Allow me to be a little trite. It's the reason for the season. It really is. It's, it's great to get together with family. It's great to give presents. It's great to go on sleigh rides and all those types of things. But the reason for the season is is that the world has forfeited its peace because they have rejected the Lord Jesus. Luke's gospel is absolutely rich in this theme of peace. There are 12 major passages in Luke's gospel about peace. It is so pivotal in Luke in his presentation of who Jesus is and what he's done that he mentions it so many times because he doesn't want you and I to miss it. God brought you here this morning because he doesn't want you to miss out. He wants to give you directions, laid out directions about how you can be on the path of peace. We're not covering all 12, so don't get too worried. Next three Sundays, we're going to tackle the three of the 12 are in the birth narrative. Luke 1 and 2, when Jesus came into the world, was born into the world, there are three uses of it, and we're going to unpack one at a time. In fact, in our passage, I've shown you the first use in Isaiah 59. Romans is 3 is the second way the Bible uses the phrase way of peace. But Luke tells us, see, it's not just that you've got off the way of peace. But there is a way to get on the way of peace. That's what the Christmas story is about. Zechariah is going to prophesy how his baby boy, John the Baptizer, is going to grow up and be a prophet, and his only goal in life is to point to Jesus. And he's going to tell us why that is absolutely crucial. And each one of these three sermons we're going to do is going to have a peace principle coming from this text that will help you find how you can have peace with God. Here's today's. First peace principle, God always reaches down to us. We never reach up to him for peace. Let me say it again. God always reaches down to us and we never reach up to him for peace. This little passage in verses 68, look at the text with me, verses 68 through 78 is bracketed by the same little word. Verse 68 has it. He has visited, circle it, visited us and redeemed his people. Verse 78, at the end of the text, says this, The sunrise shall visit us from on high. The word visit 
is what frames in this paragraph. What Zechariah wants to tell us about why Jesus came into the world and how his son points to him is marked off by this concept of visit. In the Old Testament, when God visited someone, it's not like today, don't think 21st century, hey, I, you know, we're having people over after church today and they're going to visit us and we're going to have a, you know, some hot chocolate and cookies and talk and have a good time with their kid. No, it's not that. When God visits, it is a supernatural intervention, always. Sarah couldn't have a child. She was barren. She was 90 years old. And God visited her and supernaturally allowed her to have a child. Israel needed to be delivered from Egyptian bondage. And the Bible says in the end of Genesis that Joseph prophesied that take his bones with you because God's going to take you out of Egypt. God visited Israel to deliver them from Pharaoh and, and slavery that they had been in for 400 years, he supernaturally, through the 10 plagues, delivered them. Same thing when it came to Ruth. She said, we need, Naomi, we need to go back to Bethlehem. Why? Because God has visited his people and has given them food when everyone else was in a famine. So Hannah, God visited Hannah. She cried out for years. And the other wife, Penina, had persecuted her because she had all kinds of children. Hannah couldn't have any. She said, God, when are you going to do something? And he does. He visits Hannah, and he gives her a boy, and his name is Samuel, and Samuel changes the world. See, God always comes down. God always initiates peace. He comes to where we are in our impossible situations, and he comes and he visits us, and he brings salvation, peace when we could never get it from anywhere else. And this passage goes on and on in so many ways to say this, you can't have peace on earth unless it comes from heaven. So why does God have to come down to us, Pastor Walker? Why is it? I mean, everybody literally around us, and you might be in this boat today, say, I think I can get myself to God. You know, I know God maybe can help me, you know, but I think I can... I can create peace, or I can get to God, and I can show him how good I am. And so we try to be religious, and we try to do good things, and we get our babies baptized, some people do, when they're, when they're infants, and then we, when we catechize them, and we go through the sacraments, or we go to church, and we give money in the plate, and you know, this year, my New Year's resolution is, I'm going to be a better person in 2022. And we buy a Bible, and we get a little bit religious, and we might even say a prayer or two outside of emergency situations. And we think that we could find peace. And here's what God says. There are two reasons why you're not on the path of peace today. Number one is because you have no spiritual strength. What, what Zechariah's prophecy does, if you'll receive it, is it piles up terms to show how strong your enemies are and how weak you are. The first one in verse 68 is redeemed. God has redeemed his people. It means to buy out of the slave market of sin. When you redeem someone, you redeem them by paying the price for them when they're a slave. See, Israel was a slave. It's Exodus language. God redeemed his people many, many years previous to Jesus' birth, and he had to pay the price. And God put the lamb's blood on the door, and he, he brought the plagues. And see, God had to pay the price to get them out of Egypt. And see, he says, when the Messiah comes, that's what God is planning to do. He's going to redeem you. You know why? Because you're a slave, and you have no power, and you have no rights. 
See, we don't like to think of ourselves that way, do we? I mean, I see Jersey strong. I've never seen, hey, let's get Jersey weak. I've never seen that. Do you go to the gym? I, why are you going to the gym today? I'm going to the gym because I desire to get weaker. No, no one says that. Why are you eating all that pizza? You got it. I'm getting weaker. Slaves to sin. Powerlessness. Now see, that's what, Egypt, that's what Israel was in the first century when Jesus came. Slaves. Slaves to Rome. And they thought their greatest enemy was Rome and its tyranny and its power. Twice in Zechariah's prophecy, he talks about enemies. He says in verse 71, you need to be saved. Here it is, pile up again. You need to be redeemed. You need to be saved from your enemies. Verse 74, you need to be delivered from your enemies. The word delivered means to be rescued. You know what rescue means, right? That you can't save yourself. Someone has to, who's stronger than you, come and rescue you. I, I remember when I was a lifeguard because when I was a youth pastor, I had to do, I was a lifeguard, I was everything. The director, everything. I had to go to the YMCA and get lessons and I was told, how do you, someone's drowning, here's how you do it. So this kid was in the lake, jumped off the dock, couldn't make it, he got a cramp and he started to scream. And everyone's going, oh, he's out there, he's drowning. So I, you know, here I go, I'm not thinking I'd ever have to use this stuff. I, I swim out there, and I remember the things he taught me. When you come up to someone, face the front of them, but don't get too close, because if you've ever been around someone who's panicking in the water, they will grab you around the neck, and they will drown you, and then they will drown. So I said, I got enough distance. I said, hey, stop thrashing. That, that did zero. <laughs> right? So I go, I swam around. I took the time, swam around all the way around, and I got to the back where he couldn't see me. So I came up behind him, and I brought my arm under, just like they taught me, and I came around like this, and I put my arm right around his neck like this, and so I said, stop thrashing. That did it. He stopped thrashing. I laid him back, and I, I took him all the way to shore, and I brought him out there, and he was all right. You're not going to clap? All right, thank you. Right? Wow. Okay, anyways... I saved his life. All right, never mind. All right. Um, but listen, he didn't want it. He didn't want peace. He didn't want salvation. He didn't want my way. Right? He thought he could do it on his own and get to the shore. Obviously, he couldn't. You see, it's not easy to admit you're weak. Someone has to rescue you, save you, deliver you. I read an article this week. You won't be surprised by this, I don't think. The article said this. This is the title, No More Damsels in Distress. No more. They said, forget Prince Charming. There will be no slaying of dragons any longer. There will be no knights in shining armor. Forget Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, Rapunzel. We want strong women. Strong women. They don't need men. They have their own armor. Read all the books out there. Try to find in the young adult section at Barnes & Noble, try to find a fiction book that has a guy as the hero. Try to find it. I'm not just picking on women this morning. Listen, we don't want to be thought of as weak. So here's what Zacharias does. Let me pile up the words he says. Redeemed, saved, delivered. And you know what we say, by and large? From what? Saved from what? Now, no one in this room, I don't think, I've only had one lady one time say she never sinned. 
But there are people here who say, okay, yeah, I've done wrong things, but saved? I mean, wow, what do you think I am? That, you know, and they try to picture some person who's really out in sin in their mind. Saved, yeah, I know so-and-so needs to be saved, you know, but me, saved? And so Zechariah says, well, if you didn't get it, verse 69, he has reigned up, raised up a horn of salvation. You know what a horn of salvation? Rams had horns, and you know what they used them for? Protecting and fighting. They were symbols of power. When you had a horn, the Bible all over Revelation talks about power and horns and, and, and animals that have horns. It's a power thing. God says, you know what I had to do? I had to redeem you, save you, deliver you. I had to raise up a horn. You know why? Because you are so weak. It's a horn from the house of David. In other words, when the Messiah comes, he will have the power to save you. See, listen, you can't walk on God's path of peace until you first recognize and admit that you have no strength. Romans 5, 6 through 8, read it for yourselves. When we were ungodly, when we were weak, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Have you ever come to the place where you say, hey, I can't be religious enough. I, I'm not going to pull the salvation thing off on my own. I try to be good, but it's never good enough. What do you need if you can't save yourself? Look at verse 72. Mercy. And then he says the same verb again in verse 78. You know what kind of mercy? Tender mercy. Not your average, ordinary kind of mercy, lavish kind of mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when someone doesn't give you what you deserve. They don't give it to you. You deserve this, but they don't give it to you. That's what God has to do to save you. You know what you deserve? You know what we deserve? You know what I deserve? We deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. We deserve eternal hell. That's what we deserve. But you know what salvation is? You know what Christmas is? It's God and Jesus coming into the world to give you what you didn't deserve, mercy and forgiveness. And he tells us again, let me say one more word, he says, and, and they have to give it to you. Verse 73 and verse 77 have the same verb, to grant to us, to give to us. You see what he's doing in the language he's using? He's just piling it up. He wants to impress with us so we don't forget. You can't do this. You can't do it. I have to give it to you. It's a gift. I have to initiate it. I have to buy it. I have to purchase it. I have to flow over with mercy to give it to you. Do you see what it is? We can't earn it, we can't merit it, we can't deserve it, we can't gain it, we can't perform for it. Why? Because we have no spiritual strength. Peace on earth only comes from heaven. So let me say it to you this morning, peace you're looking for, it's not gonna be included in a stimulus package from Washington. The peace you're looking for can't be found at the end of a needle or the bottom of a bottle or in someone else's bed. The peace you're looking for cannot be located in the feeling you get when you get a new job or a new spouse or a new house or a new car or a new commitment to lose weight on January 1st. The peace you're looking for cannot be found around you, but it can be found above you. And what does that peace find its cause or source in? Well, verse 77 says, through the forgiveness of your sins. Do you see that? Forgiveness of your sins. 
You know what you need more than anything else this morning? Not a Christmas bonus. Not a better marriage. Not more obedient children. Not a better health report from the doctor. You know what you need? The forgiveness of sins. It is your greatest enemy. It is what causes you the greatest lack of peace in your life. And Zechariah says, now do you get it? You know why I framed my prophecy? You know why God has to visit us? God has to come down to where we are because we could never come up to where he is. And the only way you can get forgiveness, the only way you can get back on the path of peace is through Jesus. See, he says, you know why? First of all, here's why you can't get on the path of peace. You have no spiritual strength. And lastly, because you have no spiritual sight. Look at verses 78 and 79. Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79 reads, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide their feet into the way of peace. See, you know why we can't stay on the path? Because we can't even see it in our sin. Darkness, shadow of death, that's the terms to describe our sinful condition. And that's why the name to Jesus in the text and his birth prophecy is this, the sunrise. You see it? The sunrise. Have you ever just been somewhere in a beautiful ocean and you just get up early and you sit out there and the sunrise. I mean, now, lately the sunsets here have been awesome. But the sunrise on a beautiful day, maybe up on a mountain or somewhere on a beach somewhere, and you're looking at it, you say, like, that is incredible. See, Jesus says, that's who I am. I am the most beautiful sunrise rising up out of the darkness of your life. See, I want to bring you peace. I want to visit you. I want to come. And he says, it's from on high, on high. See, here's Christmas, ready? The most high in Jesus has become the most low. See, that's Christmas. It's the incarnation. It's the word becoming flesh. It's God becoming a man. It's how we get forgiveness. It's Jesus, our redeemer, our deliverer, our merciful savior. It's how we get peace. God most high has become God most low to bring us peace. So why did Jesus have to be made, make a Christmas visit to earth? Visit because the sunrise needed to invade your darkness. We're all spiritually blind. We sit in darkness, the text says, in the shadow of death. Now listen, that is all over this Christmas story in Luke's gospel. Did you ever read it carefully in Luke 2, 8, and 9? The shepherds are out watching their flocks, and we sing that, right? But did you ever notice when they are watching their flocks? At night. And the angel, what happens, right? And the angels of the Lord appear to them. And what does it say? And the glory of the Lord shines all around them. See, it's a, it's a picture. It's a metaphor. You see, shepherds were in darkness. And in order to know how to find Jesus and how to find peace in Bethlehem, the angels from heaven had to come down to where they are in their darkness and shine the light and say, go find Jesus He's the Savior of the world. And that's the message of the gospel that we proclaim every Christmas and every time we give the good news. 
See, that's what the shepherds needed. They were in darkness. See, but I can tell you this, that's not the only example. In Luke chapter 2, in the middle of the chapter, Simeon, who's a very, very old man, and he's waited around for a long time for the Messiah to come, and he finally, Mary and Joseph, bring him in to be circumcised, and Simeon holds this little baby Jesus in his arms, and here's what he says. Lord, now I can depart in peace. Listen, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Here's what he calls it. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. You know what Simeon had in his hands? Jesus. And you know why he knew who he was? Because God had given him new eyes. My eyes can see this little baby which to everybody else is a nobody. See, he's the salvation. This is a light. God, I was in darkness, and you gave me new eyes so I could see. You know, I looked up to this year. You know, you can't get an eye transplant. They don't do them because it's so complicated that the only possible eye transplant you could even have was if someone from your own family. They have cornea transplants, but you can't just take the eyeball and all it goes, you can't just take it and give it to somebody else so that they can see. It doesn't work that way. You know what the article said? To ever reality, to get someone who's blind to be able to see, someone else first has to die. And when they die, then you can take their cornea and put it into yours. See, you will never see and understand what I'm talking about this morning unless God dies. And he did in Jesus. He died for sinners because we're so weak we could never even see the path of peace. We could never see it unless Jesus would show it to us. And in order to do that, new eyes. Simeon had them. Do you? So now you know why the verse says, and I'll close in verse 79. The sunrise, Jesus, is going to come into our darkness. And what is he going to do? He's going to guide our feet into the path of peace. See, we need a guide. If you go on the internet, you can find a Christmas guide, the 2021 Christmas gift guide. So if you haven't done any shopping, men, <clears throat> if you haven't done any shopping, you can use this guide. There's lots of categories, lots of things under the categories that you can choose from. And it says, and here's how it touts itself, this guide is to help you celebrate Christmas with gifts that inspire connection and joy. So you know God has a Christmas gift guide? And he wants to inspire you with gifts of connection and joy because he wants you to connect to him and have the joy. But I've noticed two major differences between the internet Christmas gift guide and God's. God's gift guide only had one category and one offer. And you know what it is? Salvation alone through Jesus Christ. That's his only offer. It's the only gift. You don't have to fill through all the categories. You don't have to look at all the different. He only has one gift because the only way you can get peace is through Jesus Christ. It's, it's a one size fits all. God says, let me guide you to it because watch the stories in Christmas. The Magi, see, God wanted them to connect with Jesus. And so what did he, what did he provide? Revelation, a star. The star was supernatural intervention. God came down and he said, let me guide you to Jesus. You cross the desert, you come all the way across and I'll guide you. Just keep following the star. And miraculously, when they got to where the place was, the star was gone. Why? Because God was guiding them to the way of peace. And their response? 
they rejoiced with exceeding joy. The shepherds, they didn't know how to get to Jesus. The magi had the star to guide them. The shepherds had angels. See, the star was God's heavenly revelation. The angels came down and gave heavenly revelation because here's the principle. See, God never, you never reach up to him. He always reaches down to you. He reached down to the magi with a star, the shepherds with an angel, and for us today, you know how God guides people to the path of peace? This is it. This is the guide. This is God's Christmas guide. And when you open it up, he says, look, this is the path of peace, the death and resurrection of my son, Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Put your faith in him. Stop trying to be powerful enough on your own. Admit that you're weak and that you need a savior. Second thing, and lastly, God's gift guide, different than the internet, you know how? God's gift is perfectly and totally free. It's a joke. You look at the Christmas gift guide and they tell you this. If you buy so much, and one of the things was the Jordan 11s, tennis shoes. By the way, just so you know, I take size nine and a half. Um, you know how much they are? $415. That's why I could joke around about it because they ain't happening. $450. And they say, if you buy a Jordan, those Jordans for $415, here's what. We'll give you free shipping. <laughs> Woo! You're right? Thank you. Very little. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Yeah. See, listen, the whole thing with Jesus is free. It, but it didn't, it, it cost him everything. Do you know your peace cost him his death, his blood? He gave his life, his sinless, perfect life, so he could buy you peace. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't perform it. You've got to put your faith and trust in him, that he died for you and rose again. See, today, he's offering peace. What path are you on? Let's pray. In just a few moments, we're going to close our service by singing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, Born to Set Thy People Free. Oh, wouldn't you like to be free this morning? Wouldn't you like to know real peace? Not the feeling kind of peace. Not peaceful because everything on the outside is going. No, we're talking about shalom, wholeness, complete, eternal peace. The forgiveness of sins that only comes through the cross, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. If you've never given your life to him, if you've never asked for forgiveness, if you've never put your trust in him and said, I'm a weak, helpless, powerless sinner, and I need a savior, and you're my only hope. If you've never done that, you've never called on him to be your savior, you can do that this morning. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would there be someone in the main floor of the balcony say, Pastor Walker, I've heard what you said this morning. I've listened to what the Bible says about the path of peace, and I have to be honest. I don't think I'm on it. You may not be the worst person in the world. That's not what we're talking about. You may be religious. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about, do you know the peace that only comes through trusting and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you when he died and rose again? If you've never done that, you can call on him today. We'd love to take a few moments after the service this morning and show you from Scripture how you can have peace 
eternal peace in his name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you, would you just do this? Say, Pastor Walker, I need to get on the path of peace. I need to put my trust in Jesus. Please, here's my hand. Pray for me. Pray for me that I would, I would, list, I would say, God, I admit I'm weak. I'm a sinner. I need your son, Jesus. Pray for me, Pastor Walker. Would you do that this morning? Just put your hand up real quickly and put it back down. And as I close this morning, I won't call out your name, but I'll pray for you. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Raise your hand and join these two. Pastor Walker, I'm a sinner. I need to save. I, I'm we, I can't save myself. I need the peace that comes through Jesus alone. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Would you stand to your feet, please? All of us together, stand to your feet. We're going to pray and we'll sing. Father, thank you for Jesus, the Prince of Peace. I pray for those who raised their hand this morning, indicating they have strayed away from the path of peace. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you might work in their hearts to draw them to yourself and overcome their unbelief. Give them humility this morning and brokenness. They might see in themselves their powerlessness and come humbly to a Savior who has mercy in abundance far more than our sin. And we'll thank you for your kindness to us in him, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. 244, if you want, well, we don't need hymn books that we have on the screen, right? 244, we don't need that. Come thou long expected Jesus. <laughs>